0: We are kicking things off with a word from our sponsor. The new streaming service, Film Movement Plus, opens a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But as a listener of Watch With Jen, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial, plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code WATCHWITHJEN, all one word. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at Filmintuition.com and Film Intuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Joining me today is Diana Drum, a critic, historian, researcher, and self described full time nerd, an assistant editor at Cineast Magazine which is America's leading magazine on the art and politics of cinema, Diana is also the marketing coordinator at Quad Cinema, New York's first small four-screen multiplex theater. Additionally, she is assisting in the production of the upcoming memoir of the late movie theater owner and film distributor, Dan Talbot of New Yorker Films and Lincoln Plaza Cinemas. She also runs the female film critics Twitter account, amplifying women and gender non-binary voices in film on social media. Diana, it is a real pleasure having you on the podcast today. How are you doing and how have you been adapting to the ongoing pandemic?
1: Well, it's great to be here, a uh, longtime listener, huge fan
0: oh, and
1: <laughs> And yeah, with the pandemic, I don't know, it's been. It's been something like, yeah, uh, yeah, because pretty much I've been out of the city and watching a lot of movies somehow, like managing a lot of work here and there, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of felt like an extended, very bizarre, like
0: school break. It really has. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) like the snow day that's never ending no (laughs) exactly no that's it that is
1: it though it's the snow day because it's like you can't really do much because you're not able to see people Mm -hmm. and you know generally health this that and the other that it's just kind of like oh we're mostly housebound and basic necessities only and but at the same time that gives us an excuse to like revisit favorite things which I, you know, both of us, I think, can safely say movies are amongst those.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, definitely. I've always enjoyed reading your thoughts on film, both on social media and in your pieces as well. You're always working on something new and exciting, whether that's a collaboration or an article. So is there anything you're cooking up that you'd like to give us a sneak preview of, whether that's with Cineist? The Quad or Beyond?
1: Well, thank you very much. And <laughs> uh, and yeah, like, uh, let's see, for the upcoming uh, summer issue of Cineast, uh, right now, I, I do know that I have a st- staff recommendation lined up in there, specifically for one of the films we'll be discussing today, uh, Joyce Chopra's Ooh. Smooth Talk. That's and timely. Then, <laughs> Yes. And then, which I guess also just dropped on Criterion channel today. If Twitter's to be believed slash I haven't triple checked on Criterion channel right now. That's but, crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's fun. And I'm trying to think what else is up. Cause yeah, at quad, we've been reopening steadily this past weekend. We had Shiva baby, uh, Emma, Emma Silligman's uh, directorial debut which got really great buzz and honestly has performed the best so far out of the post or I'm trying to think of how to because we're not post COVID we're still in COVID yeah. uh, since, since the recent reopening um, okay, that's gotcha. been like our most successful title so far which is pretty exciting because not to you know be too gender biased out of the gate but it's nice having you know a young woman's voice succeed <laughs> <laughs> Very much. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like looking like uh, this weekend we're opening. Oh, is it? We've got Slalom, which is an, is Charlene Favre's. I'm probably going to mispronounce it because I am not I am not French fluent. But um, anywho, so it's a Me Too timely story that's opening at the quad this weekend. And then we have like a lot more coming up on the books, but also We don't have repertory lined up as of yet, but I'm, you know, crossing fingers, knock on wood, that might be in the picture at some point once, you know, once things start reopening a little more.
0: Yeah. Oh, that would be wonderful. (laughs) Well, like with me and my pandemic movie club. You've been involved in a core, or I should say hashtag <laughs> core film club, quarantine film club with Tomris Lafley, a mutual friend and others. And I'm always interested to see what you guys are watching each week because it veers wildly from like true classics, including Shane to modern day favorites, like Face Off or Modern Day. Well, it's modern for me. <laughs> I am old. But contemporary <laughs> classics or cult favorites like Face Off or Kindergarten Cop. So how does your film group work? And what have been some of the most effective conversation starters that you've watched so far?
1: Well, pretty much we've got a group of four different households, including me, Tomris, and two others. And pretty much what we do is each household uh, trades off in terms of coming up with that week's selections and then the rest of the group votes on it. And then, so that's (laughs) democratic. And and, yeah, in some ways other than like, yeah, pretty much (laughs) in my household, I've also involved my parents in the decision-making, which is, that's how shame happened. (laughs) <laughs> oh. is that pretty much because, uh, we have zoom discussions before and after, uh, we watch the movies on Saturday nights. And at some point I, I forget who, but so, uh, so somehow Westerns came in the discussion. And mm-hmm. then, so when it was our week, uh, to throw out some sele- selections to the group, uh, Shane was a top one. I think we also, I feel like we included a bunch of Gary Cooper movies. And then I feel like the cool. searchers was thrown in okay. and like, yeah. And then I'm, cause that would have been like our first of this year, but oh my God, face off
0: was amazing, which <laughs> I had never seen before, which oh, made it seriously? even cooler. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> I saw it at the theater. I'm like that old, but yes, I actually, I have a little story. I went to see it with a, a guy. I just assumed we were friends realized like midway through the movie he straight up thought it was a date and it was very oh. awkward so now when I watch face off I'm like sorry bro but but anyway I love the movie it's,
1: oh but you know did it did he try to stroke your face
0: no which which would have been perfect for that movie <laughs> but no he's exactly or you know what but You're no. when you're when uh was it
1: John Travolta denies Gina Gershon you know, when it's something okay. where he goes to stroke her face, but then decides not to, Yeah, that was you at this guy. Where okay. you're just like, oh, you're nice, but no, I'm not going <laughs> to give you the full stroke.
0: Yeah, sorry, male Gina Gershon, you're not cutting it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. always <laughs> <laughs> to be compared to Travolta, I think. No.
1: <laughs> I adore Travolta. I, I know,
0: yeah. that whole era was so much fun. You've seen... Um, <sighs> Oh boy. Now I'm blanking. I'll be cutting Michael. Out. Sorry.
1: I'm just gonna that out there. <laughs> oh, I'm like boy. what I consider peak 90s John Travolta, which I know everyone like you know, like post-pulp pulp, pulp fiction Travolta, I'm just like Michael is an underrated gem.
0: Okay. <laughs> Broken Arrow is what I was going for. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh my gosh. I mean, like it takes place outdoors, but he chews the scenery like for the entire movie. It is just <laughs> <laughs> like all the mountains, everything—it's amazing. So campy, but just so much fun. You gotta check. Oh it my out. god! Yeah, because that
1: was it though. With face off, it was just like it was
0: amazing how it's John like, Wu again too.
1: Oh yeah, and then also, or just like with Travolta, you'd think Cage, like Cage, definitely choose the scenery, but I feel like Travolta like out Cages Cage.
0: Yeah, it was weird casting. I remember seeing that and kind of thinking, should they have switched roles? But then we would be denying the whole opening sequence with Cage, which is just made for GIFs. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah.
1: Oh, totally. And then also, again, Cage and oh, actually, that that actually ties back into Quar Film Club, because one really fun pick was The Family Man. So Nicolas Cage oh, and Opera, gotcha. just like it's a perfect combo because you've yeah. got you know Family Man, Face Off. We haven't done Moonstruck. That might be. I might have oh, to propose one of that my at some favorites. Yeah, same. Oh my God, one of the best ever. Um, yeah, no, I. But oh, circling back though, were you the one to decide on the movie for the date, or the not date, but the he thought oh, was the a date? Faux
0: date? Yeah. yeah both just love John Woo and it's like, hey, you want to go? And so, yeah, uh, I think we just mutually decided we were going. I mean, I went to the movies a lot with this person, but usually as a group. And then that was a solo one. And it was like, oh, buddy, I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: And also that feels like a safe, oh, this is definitely a friend meetup. Yeah. (laughs) Rather than, oh, it's a date. Oh, my God. One time I wound up, you know, the 2003 Peter Pan I think it's
0: 2003
1: okay um the the one with Jason Isaacs oh what
0: was that Benini no he did Pinocchio what the hell am I talking about (laughs) go ahead (laughs) no this is the one
1: with Jason Isaacs's hook which I would say is the second best hook in my opinion okay uh but because like I love I adore Cyril Richard from the Mary Martin but anyways not to completely go off but um. Yeah, that was my worst. I didn't realize this was a date movie. Oof. Yeah. And again, <laughs> and again, it's when you're a tween, <laughs> and yeah. people don't tell you, or like, it's just the thing where it's like, it, I thought it was just like a group thing, but then it turned off, or it turned out everyone was pairing off. Oh, geez. And I'm just like, oh no, who am I? Ah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you wish you would grow outgrow the whole. Hey, let's hang out. Or, hey, you want to get together. It's like, what does that mean to you? Like, you know, right. use the word. No. Like, how it's about like, a can date? It just be, yes.
1: Yeah, it's like, can it, can it just, and even like, I jokingly with friends will just be like, oh, it's a date then. But even like, it's the thing where like, it would just be nice to have like a point blank thing. Or, like, yeah. It's like, this is a date. We're meeting up for food and or drinks and there's a movie and or activity and this is supposed to be romantically inclined. Yes. Like, I don't think that's too hard to say rather than being in that weird middle space and then it goes too long or too far to like fully back out. Yeah. Like, or without being, without like really awkward extrication.
0: Yes, I know. (laughs) It's so bad. Yeah. Okay, we are solving problems here. That's what we're doing. (laughs) That's it. Everybody knows. I'm kind of at that stage where I wish guys would just straight up tell you, like, I like you instead of this weird, you know, thing where you don't know what the attention is for. It's just like, tell somebody you like them or you're attracted to them. Let's be forward enough to do that. But no. No,
1: that's it. Yeah. So I don't mean to be talking over you, but it's just like listening oh. to this. It's the thing where for anyone, for everyone listening is the fact that like visually I'm like pointing and being like, yes, yes, yes. To everything you're, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're Yeah. Funny. Well, like, I don't know. I remember this was one of my worst pickup lines in college that I, I that I went up to this guy and I, I just said, you, what was it? I went up to him, and I stroked his cheek, and I said, you're very attractive.
0: Oh, wow, Diana. Okay. <laughs> you
1: face-offed him. wasn't into girls,
0: but... Oh, no. I was just saying, you were the, like, face-off person there. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, a decade
1: before oh, I no. ever saw the film. But, yeah, no, it's like, I just did the cheek graze thing, and then I just was like, you're very attractive. He kind of looked like Jude Law with a better jaw which Damn. I don't think yeah. really existed, but he's a sweetheart. And oh. we like, it's the thing where then we got tequila shots and everything, but like it, it didn't go that way for a variety of reasons. Yes. But um, yeah. So it's just like that, that was definitely an overall positive experience, but it's like, I just like that sort of clarity rather than like, Oh, let's meet up for drinks. And then you get there and you're just kind of like, what is happening
0: here? Yeah. Did I overdress or <laughs>
1: underdress? I know
0: <laughs> I, I am one of those weirdos though that always overdresses like I, I wear dresses places and skirts and yeah and I live in Arizona which is people wear like sandals and shorts to the theater here sometimes and it's like dude come oh, on. no yeah so <laughs> that that's my whole mo but yeah on those like is it a date thing you don't want to send like the wrong messages for sure it's tough yeah. It's yeah. tough being women. It is. Tough being women. <laughs> tough being dudes. It's tough out there. That's what we're getting yeah, to. Yeah, for
1: everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's like even before <laughs> COVID.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, when it came time to choose a theme for this episode, I love how creative and excited you were to dive into something that isn't even one genre or a subgenre, but just this like fascinating character type. It kind of, you know, our lead in about dating here, Diana, is kind of perfect. We are talking about sinister men. Now, the guys that we've discussed, they're not sinister. It was just misguided. We understand. But sinister men on screen, I think originally you were trying to figure out how to work James Mason and Christopher Plummer into like one topic. And what's intriguing is the plumber film was the latest edition of the bunch and it was the perfect one. So Sinister Men exist in comedies as well as dramas, old movies and new ones. And speaking as a major De Niro fan, in case you didn't know, I know I play that pretty close to the vest. I'm just kidding. (laughs) They're usually the most memorable characters in a film, whether you hate them, love them or both. So what is it about these sinister men that attracted you to the topic today?
1: Well, as, as you outlined, I, I pretty much love any excuse to discuss James Mason. <laughs> and, he is, and he is in many ways the embodiment of sinister just because like he has that sort of when he wants to. It's just like that presence and that sort of underlurking, like something bad is going to happen at some point <laughs> and slightly pointed And so I kind of, because part of me was tempted to like poke you with just way too many James Mason titles, although there's never too many. James Mason
0: is a treasure. We might have a follow up episode on James Mason. Oh
1: my God. Yes. Yes. No, no. Yes. And yes. And yes. And like, so it's just, I thought in theory that like, it'd be also fun to tackle. I, I thought like sinister men would be an interesting enough topic in general to discuss, but also not too specific. Cause I didn't want to, as much as I, I will upfront admit I'm a complete film nerd. I didn't want to like bore you to death with random James Mason trivia. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm always happy to learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just me quoting all the fan letters and fangirl profiles But from like 1942, it's beautiful. I'll poke you. But (laughs) so so it was the thing where then I thought of like out of James Mason's roles, like I feel like the knee jerk go to Sinister would be something like the man in gray where he uh, beats his mistress to death. (laughs) <laughs> or, or I, I'm forgetting the title of the film right this second, but there's the one where he just says, I enjoy storms. I can't do a James Mason impression, but it's just like, there's a, there's a gif of that that's I use all the time because it's just beautifully exactly. sinister and melancholic and big. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I kind of, and then also I think I really, really wanted to include Christopher Plummer because of a lot la- alas his recent passing and then like yeah. inside daisy clover was such a formative film for me and i know a lot of of our mutual acquaintances and generally like female film twitter mm. that, <laughs> that it's like i felt like inside daisy clover like that is sinister mm-hmm. embodied, like he is sinister embodied as well and yeah. then i kind of circled around to because i was thinking because Okay, not to be that person quoting the dictionary, but like with the word sinister, it's like giving the impression that something harmful or evil is happening or about to happen. And so I was so like it was with that in mind that I did because part of because going with the word sinister, it's like we could have gone like Barry Vincent Price yeah uh, very Boris Karloff which oh my god that could be another episode even though there is the you must remember this series that is yes. amazing uh-huh. and so just shout out to that um yes but Kar- Karina. <laughs> Karina Longworth who deserves our to, to get for
0: her work crazy bad take on Twitter today stupid but, yeah. <gasps> what happened I missed this oh no some jerk was pointing out because of the knives out money going to Ryan Johnson like why is there a patreon for you must remember this like Karina oh. employs all these researchers and people who work on the show, but you know, I guess because she's married, Ryan Johnson's supposed to pay w- for this, and so she's supposed to work for free. No, oh,
1: that's bad, so bad. unpleasant. Yeah, no, because like it's it's not like you know a marriage is a business organization, and it's not like no. you know any of her work is borderline charity. Like this is work that is more than valid and needs research and pay for that like sorry that's that's such, that's so insane and i feel like i want to yeah. throw
0: daggers at whoever whoever stirred that oh yeah <sighs> he's incredible <laughs> sorry, just, so i like, have not i've been grown. doing work for like boy maybe 10 12 15 years like before she even did oh podcast. yeah like, come on, you guys, that's stupid. Yeah, because mm-hmm. actually I
1: think what was it? I wrote a piece for Cineast on Smooth Talk, and Karina Longworth had some amazing stuff on um variety on Betty Gordon's variety. Ooh. Or like, yeah, like I wrote that as an online web exclusive and
0: like oh, it was yeah. just your article was great on variety. Oh no,
1: thank you. I wasn't fishing, but I also deeply appreciate oh, but <laughs> but yeah like in the research it's like Karina Longworth has been there like her work has been like she's she's a vital voice in terms Mm -hmm. of not only like currently what's happening but actually like re-examining and examining history that's kind of you know off to the side when we're presented with very white male canon like when we come through in terms of like whether you go like I didn't go to film school but like even just being a film nerd, it's the thing of just like what you're presented with is just like the same movies over and over again. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, why? Like I know, <laughs> that. or like, so it's just like, that's actually why I also wanted to include smooth talk in today's discussion. I was so excited
0: it, to see it. Yes.
1: Yeah. I like, cause that was one that I didn't know about until this year's New York film festival or I guess last year. So I keep forgetting that we're in 2021 now, (laughs) but um, yeah, it was the thing where they had a beautiful restoration and I was lucky enough to watch it. And it was I just was so taken aback by it's it's a real like coming of age film for women. Like it's just it's it felt very rare. And then also Laura Dern is just so marvelous and it and yeah. I think she was 15 at the time. Oh. And you're just kind of like, wow. And it feels like a sort of film that like should have like we should have watched sooner than now, if that makes yeah. sense. That the yeah, so that. So that's my not quite cohesive ramble of like Smooth Talk's amazing and Karina Longworth. Oh my God, I adore. Her. Yeah, and you must remember this is amazing. Even though I, the I, I will admit, the first episode I listened to was an was the one about Errol Flynn, and I'm a big Errol Flynn fan. So I kind of stepped away after the first five minutes, and then I really got into You Must Remember This. I think with the um oh yeah the Boris and uh Bela series. Okay. But yeah mm-hmm. the Errol like I I I have way too many and actually that goes into the Sinister Men theme today is that I have way too many problematic faves as many, many of us who like movies we do. do. <laughs>
0: we all do. Yeah. We <laughs> couldn't watch any movies if we didn't have problematic faves, basically. Yeah,
1: yeah pretty much <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, exactly. oh yeah and then
1: that that goes into then the last pick uh Ooh, baby yep. driver
0: which That's... is man yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> which that was I think that was tying into like because it was coming into the different titles I kind of wound up thinking tall dark and handsome being like a tip-off sign
0: that things are going to go badly yeah <laughs> I know and that's my taste in men so um, I'm I'm fucked but
1: <laughs> same no yes. royally 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 and it's just really upset like and I think but that also just like ties into so much and to like not to speak of the female gaze
0: too yes. much <laughs> no. but go ahead
1: but that like you know it's like we watch these films we charismatic presences then we discover why we shouldn't be as attracted to these charismatic yeah, presences that's
0: true <laughs> <Very> Because true.
1: <laughs> yeah like or just like it's but like actually it was funny because honestly like when I spiff all these titles I was just thinking like oh here's some of my favorites with like some really creepy characters in them yeah and then looking through them I'm like oh wait they're all really almost the same ish in some <laughs> ways where it's like they're classically handsome but again sinister. Yeah. ish or like and then you've got it where they just like it's the thing where they don't leave <laughs> <Like> they don't. <laughs> or just yeah. like because like with the wicked lady you ha- like it's the thing where captain jerry jackson like not to spoil the film, yeah. but it's like there are a few times where you think he's out of Lady Barbara's life for a while, but then he pops back in and you're like,
0: oh no. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we're we'll <laughs> getting into that one pretty quick here. But yeah, I know. These guys, it's like leave already. No, <laughs> it's, like, it's like leave, or why are you so involved? <laughs> like, I know. Yeah. Or that's like
1: that's where it's like the Mark Rutland, the Sean Connery and Marnie and the uh, and Christopher Plummer's character in Inside Daisy Clover, you're just like, yes. why
0: are you so involved? Just get away. <laughs> this doesn't concern you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but pretty much, it's just like they can be an independent
0: human being. <laughs> yes. But Oh, too funny. <laughs> well, the films you selected today are all quite different in theme, tone, but the one thing they have in common, of course, is their sinister men who are all varying degrees of dangerous. We're talking today about the Wicked Lady, Marnie, Inside Daisy Clover, Smooth Talk, and Baby Driver. And... Before we begin, we should warn anyone listening who hasn't seen these films that there may be spoilers ahead. Obviously, feel free to reference and compare or contrast any film or character to any other at any time, but I thought it might be best to go chronologically through them. So we're kicking things off with a movie that was 100% new to me, actually, 1945's The Wicked Lady, a British costume drama directed by Leslie Arliss and starring Margaret Lockwood and the man who inspired the topic, James Mason. The film, which is now playing on the Criterion channel, was written by its director, Leslie Arliss and based on Magdalene King Hall's novel, Life and Death of the Wicked Lady Skelton, centered on a manipulative beauty who steals her best friend's intended, marries him and becomes a nobleman's wife, and then encounters the seductive robber James Mason and becomes a highwayman partner purely for that excitement. I really enjoyed this one. It became one of my favorite first watches of March. But more importantly, I would love to hear your take. So please tell me about The Wicked Lady, your experience with it, and James Mason, of course. We got to (laughs) know.
1: Yeah, well, I'm so, uh, I'm ecstatic to hear that was one of your fave new watches of March. Uh, This has been a long time, or relatively long time favorite for me, that, um, Yeah, because I I studied uh, British cinema nineteen twenty to nineteen sixty in college under a history department bracket. Oh wow! And um, (laughs) so it was. So I gave a presentation on gender dynamics in British film, and I specifically like I I narrowed it down to Gainsborough pictures Gainsborough studios uh mostly as an excuse to give a powerpoint presentation in which it involved a lot of photos of Stuart Granger and James Mason Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um (laughs) to be very frank visual aids you need them yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's like that was a big or it was I think I feel like Gainsborough like the way the prompt involved Gainsborough So, like, I don't think I was completely, like, out of left field with a, oh, I want to ogle James Mason and Stuart Granger for research.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we should probably tell people what Gainsborough the melodramas are. You go for it.
1: Oh, yes. Okay, so in uh, wartime Britain, uh, there was a rise in, or, like, people were still going to the movies, mostly uh, mostly a woman-focused audience, and so these, so pretty much, Gainsborough in that time period in the '40s, uh, they put out these, but like in terms of production, like B-level. Uh, I I'm trying to think of a kind phrase for it, but they're pretty much bodice rippers. Yeah, where where yeah. it's like they're either like regency or. Um, are restoration dramas in which there's uh they're wicked or like this is a, a, a wicked lady and a very kind cousin and
0: mm-hmm. and
1: just like those sort of classic dynamics and then you have a very dastardly handsome man who yes. just yes
0: <laughs> who gets in the way <laughs> i know there's always one <laughs> Exactly. <Well, laughs> so- there are a few but he's the main guy yeah
1: Yes. So it's so that's it's like in terms of that genre film, it's a lot. of It's like a lot of quick action, not there's a lot of superficial development, let's say. Yeah. And then it's very quick paced, really engaging. And it's really focused on like the woman's perspective, really, even though it's written yeah. and directed by a man. But it's like it's between Wicked Lady, Man in Grey, Madonna of the Seven Moons it concerns the heightened romance dramas, let's say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the Gainsborough melodrama genre. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it's just like, it's great because you have these amazing actors, like, or again, James Mason and Stuart Granger, right when they're on the cusp of before Hollywood success. Yep. So it's just like they have their training and their presence, but at the same time, very passionate direct scripts <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> just yeah. like, or just like it's that thing of as as a uh like it's just there's so much pleasure in these films <laughs> yeah <laughs> that like i feel that like Guilty. I feel like the phrase "guilty pleasure" should shouldn't be applicable, but I also still like my tone and my giggling kind of shows how slightly guilty I am for loving the like that genre
0: of film too much. Oh, you're (laughs) fine. No, the (laughs) kind of notorious for that. Even in America, we did that. What movie though? It reminded me of. Uh, Yeah. You ever see? I mean this movie is in black and white but did you ever see forever amber (gasps) oh yes yes okay oh my gosh it's a gorgeous film but it reminded me so much i was like boy you could double feature these and it would be brilliant yeah
1: oh my gosh yes because yeah it's the central figure of like the willful woman and then again having an attractive but like yep. Dangerous, sinister, borderline threatening man. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. uh, Because, yeah, it's just like with the Wicked Lady, I think what draws me every time is just because that was one of my favorites in college. And that, like, I still remember, like, stumbling on the DVD in the library and then checking it out way too many times. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, in the names of re in the name of research. Yeah. But, and that is just like with the James Mason character in that the captain Jerry Jackson, I think, cause I think what's so great about it in a way is that he plays this type or like he steps into the role of the highwayman, mm-hmm. but it's not his story. It's her story. So it's the thing where he's a secondary character as the villain even yeah. though he's not re- like again, spoiler, but it's like you know, he's nowhere near as villainous as Lady Barbara. <laughs> yeah,
0: <is> just- <laughs>
1: she's the big bad. No. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like I think that's what what is so enticing about the whole thing is that like he come, you know, it's like she's supposed to be just like this scheming almost Becky Sharp like woman figure Becky Sharp brilliant I know
0: (laughs) it is like that
1: yeah so it's just like it's I want a better situation in life and I'll just you know grab whatever I want and like it's very basic and it's uh, like she's a very in that sense a one to two dimensional character Mm -hmm. and then then you have Captain Jerry she runs into Captain Jerry Jackson who's all just just like him with that with the face mask which also like it is funny talking about face masks at this time but him having that and like his hat and on the horse and just like the James Mason voice which I again I can't do but (laughs) it's just like it just sets the tone and it's just he's a rogue and it's just he, he immediately as soon as you see him and as soon as like they go back to the inn and it's just like, it's all so you get wrapped up in the rapturousness that is James Mason as a highwayman.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, the,
1: and, the, and like, that's it though, too, is you're just like, Oh no, this is like, it like, she's gonna go to a life of crime. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that like she like her codes of ethics
0: are even even worse worse than than
1: the highwayman
0: yeah (laughs) they're like that's a little much trying to spoiler shoot your husband like i'm i'm out yeah
1: (laughs) yeah no that's it though and like and like they make that whole big point of like oh shoot the horse don't shoot the man and then actually that's enough okay so like that's what's so like i keep like in the It's just very interesting, like people's and like I know it's the whole cliche that like English people value horses over people or Mm -hmm. at least like treat their animals better than they treat their children. And again, that sounds incredibly harsh. And I don't mean to I'm just quoting a very stereotypical bad cliche, Mm -hmm. but it is interesting that she values the horse more than the or the horses more than the people. And then uh, <laughs> there's a payoff
0: with the horse and Marnie too. So we have, yeah. we have some horse politics going on today.
1: Yeah, Oh, and she also has a whole mother thing. Yeah. it's Where like Lady Barbara, it's that whole thing where she starts her life of crime because she's trying to retrieve her brooch yep that was her mother's that was the one thing she valued in the world that she lost in a gambling incident with her sister-in-law so it's just it's interesting how like it's like as we're going through these films it's like the women at the center it's like they're supposed to or like with lady barbara it's the idea that She's independent on her own, but she still has some sort of basic, like, there's still some heart there because she values the memory of her mother. Mm -hmm. She values horses, apparently, over people. Michael Um, Rennie,
0: she loves him, yes. After she gets married, she falls in love at first sight with somebody else because she just basically took her friends intended. As one does, I guess.
1: (laughs) In this (laughs) era. that's what's so, like, melodramatically sweet is the thing where she's, you know, she gets what she thinks she wants in terms of marrying the rich man who is her friend or her very close, her bosom buddies intended. Yeah, I didn't know
0: if it was cousin or friend. That's a good point. I feel
1: like they use the phrase cousin, but, like, I I don't know... But I wonder whether it's in that old school, like, does that actually mean legit cousin? Or does that mean that they went to the same, like, finishing school together or something? But, and again, it doesn't, like, all you need to know is that they're close and that the friend trusted Barbara too much. Exactly. (laughs) So, or like, and to go to your point about poor Michael Rennie, it's the thing where, so Lady Barbara is in her is in her wedding gown thinking that she achieved all that she wanted of being of marrying this wealthy man of uh, this landowner
0: and that she would get the
1: status exactly and so on her uh, as she's dancing around she locks eyes with an attractive man across the room who is not her groom
0: I know It's like the heartbreak kid, except, yeah. Yes. Or the real life story of Jerry Seinfeld meeting his wife on her honeymoon. Yes. Yes. No, but that's it though. It's like, it's so tragic, but also
1: like yeah. there's little sympathy there where you're just like, yeah, this is why you wait until you're in love to get married, Barbara, like yeah. Lady Barbara. Get I just I love, repeating, I love repeating her name mostly just because there's that whole bit in the film where uh oh was it it's the fact where wh- when she okay so on her wedding night she uh she f- she finds her true love across the wedding banquet and that's not her groom and then they have to part ways and it's so tragic and again he michael Rennie just like he stands there and he looks very like that long tall almost poetic yes. romantic figure of a man but you're just kind of like oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah.
0: He's
1: but like then, a pretty
0: boy, basically. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. And
1: then, yeah. And then it's when she goes to recover her brooch that then she decides to take, or she decides to take batters in her own hands and become a highwayman to uh, circumvent uh, the sister-in-law's travel and get the brooch off of her. And then runs into James Mason, aka the actual Captain Jerry Jackson, who's the mm-hmm. highwayman of that stretch. Yes. And that's where, so when they go back to the inn to go through the goods and and in another way go through the goods, not to <laughs> <laughs> A little double
0: pandra, we get ya. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But it was the thing where as they're like about to like grow before they nuzzle, it's the thing where, oh what is it? He's like, what should I call you? Like, what's your name? And then she starts listing off a few names. And then the way that James Mace, or like she lists off, I think she, I forget the other names, but then she's just like, or Barbara. And he's like, Barbara, that sounds like you. Or, you know, know. I'm not quoting it exactly, but it's just the (laughs) way he says it. And it's it's almost already possessive of her in a sense of like Mm -hmm. in that romantic possessive way that you're like, oh, nothing good at all will come of this. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I say as though, you know, running off with a highwayman at all would be, you know, yeah, not a, ba- not not a bad, not advisable <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, so it's just like, oh my gosh. So it's the like I just and then it goes towards a lot of twists and turns. and the entire time James Mason is just so drawn to her, and that almost makes you more drawn to him as a character, is that, like, He like he's not just like he he likes their partnership as well as the the way he phrases it as something like, oh, the evenings at the inn and your you know your sweet caresses. Mm -hmm. But it's like it's not just that, it's the fact that like and I don't think it's just because they get a better score, because I bet they would get the same amount if, you know, if it was just him holding up the carriage that he would still exactly. get the same amount of jewelry. Yeah. But it's like I think he likes the partnership and she likes the thrill of getting things for nothing.
0: Yeah, and I think there's <laughs> yeah, they're getting their kicks. They're turned on by the excitement and the danger and what what better than to have somebody there to celebrate your adrenaline and go over as Diana would say, the goods. No,
1: but it's like yeah. It's yeah, and it's just so—he's uh, such a rogue, and it's all just so rollicking. And then, then as things turn sour, as they're inevitably going to do, because it's nineteen forty-five, and you know she's a she's a wicked lady to re- repeat the title, and we all yeah. know that. Let's just I say, film sure. does. <laughs> Film does not allow a woman to, let's Office. just say, be wicked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, she's crime. gonna die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Barbara <laughs> is going down. Exactly. It's like it was. It was spelled out as so- honestly. It spelled out as soon as the first shot of her, like with her overheaving bosom in the corset, and like, oh my gosh, Margaret Lockwood is just such a presence yes that like you it's like and again it's like the staging and some might say slightly campy things but (laughs) it's just like it's just so because you know exactly what's happening and you know where things are going even with the twists and turns Mm -hmm. other than I'm still surprised that Captain Jerry Jackson like was with her like kept coming back like after because she betrays
0: him I know that would and be again that little... spoiler yes. <laughs> we're just supposed to think about the logic there though <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is just like she betrays him and then he still is like oh i can't ref-, you know i can't refuse you and mm-hmm. it's just like ah.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so basically what we're saying is everybody be sure to check this one out definitely yes
1: Yes, it's so much I think that's it it's just like if you like melodrama and heightened romance and uh, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase it like it's just like if you like stories of rogues and damsels Mm -hmm. although that doesn't sound quite right but it like this is just this is the pinnacle of that
0: yeah (laughs) manipulative (laughs) scheming women and the rogues that love them i guess yes. <laughs> we I'm aren't sure at first but it seems like he does yes well next yes. We, yeah next we have alfred hitchcock's 1964 film marnie based on the novel by winston graham and adapted by screenwriter jay Preston allen this film stars tippy hedren as a kleptomaniac with ptsd who's clearly repressed some sort of sexual or physical trauma and Sean Connery is the forceful, unrelenting man determined to love her and get her to face her past and puzzle it out. I distinctly remember being disappointed by this one as a teen, because I felt like she was being manhandled and gaslit by both Connery and Hitchcock, particularly with that reveal at the end. And while I've come around a bit, on the intent here at least, aided by Alison Anders, the filmmaker who credits this movie and Connery's character for how she wrote Don Cheadle's character and interactions with Kim Dickens in her tremendous and highly autobiographical personal film, Things Behind the Sun. I still don't love Marnie though, overall. It's a technically stellar movie. There's some Freudian and fascinating symbolism here and there. Her purse, satchel, baggage, and beyond. But it's disturbing the way the but you weren't really abused thing at the end feels a bit disingenuous to me. uh, Especially as someone who's had a few things happen in life as well. So I want to like it more than I like it. I do enjoy it more than I did when I was a teenager, but overall I'm mixed on this one because I think it is a personal thing. So, how about you? What are your thoughts on Marnie? See, I think I have the I have the thing where I
1: watched it too young. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So I think I gravitated way too much to Sean Connery as uh, as Mark <laughs> Rutland. No, I'm just I'm. I'm being way, very upfront. <laughs> it's okay. like I, and, and it's, I think, because I I feel like I saw it for the first time on TCM in a double with Tomb of Lygia, which okay. is also, like, similarly themed in terms of just, like, foreboding men. Um, oh. And so, like, I kind of, and a lot of visual play there. And it's just, like, with Marnie, I think that, like, that's actually what I struggle with a lot with this film is just like, I like it a lot more than I should like everything okay. in terms of my reason and my reaction. And especially as like, when I rewatched it as a teen, as a adult and on this re- recent rewatch, like I really should not like it as much as I <laughs> do, but I love Sean Connery in this way, like still like beyond. And I don't know I because th- like actually it's funny because this is a, this is another film that I wrote on in college okay. that um I I did a like full exam I I total I, I I an incredibly derivative paper uh, based on uh, Laura Mulvey's uh, oh is it the pleasure of cinema the 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 very famous you know the female gaze defining paper that are yeah the pleasure of visual cinema I think anyways I'm gonna misquote that and then it's yeah but anyway oh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was the thing where I looked at Marnie and I looked at Vertigo uh-huh. and and like the whole point of the paper was just it was saying something along the lines of that Jimmy Stewart like Jimmy Stewart could go through or like could do all this and do these actions and hitchcock knew that as the audience we follow along because he's jimmy stewart he's the every man yeah. uh-huh. and so i made like so i made a similar stretch with marnie that it's that like if you placed anyone else in this role it would be even more abhorrent like just in terms of the dynamics in terms of like how he like compares like he he treats her like an anthropo- uh, anthropological study yeah and like and then old, again spoiler but it's like and rapes her and like or and that's what's implied by the stripping on their honeymoon that it's just like truly oh, terrible yes mm-hmm. truly terrible horrible things or uh, are like And I think the issue is is that you've got Sean Connery there at his height of, you know, like, right as he's, you know, James Bond just being very commanding and attractive and, like, and this was, and I think, for me, it also took a whole other spin when connecting the dots of all the abuse that Tippi Hedren had from Alfred Hitchcock and that he... and. You know, his use of the, you know, it's like the fi- having Sean Connery almost as a stand in. And like, yeah, it's, it's just, disturbing. Ugh.
0: Yep.
1: It's so disturbing. And it's just like, I think that's where it gets even more like, it's like when you actually think in terms of not just what's in the film, which is sinister and bad enough, mm-hmm. but then you throw in the context and the production and everything, it just takes on a whole other level. And it's just so, because, like, the film itself, it's really, and actually, that was, this was something that I didn't make the full connection with, but it opens almost exactly like Psycho in terms it of, really like... It really does, yeah. Yeah, that it's like you have the young, attractive woman on the run after, you know, stealing, t- get, yep. <laughs> stealing some money, and, you know, in theory on her own, like, even though in Psycho, she, she was aiming to meet up with her married boyfriend, but Mm -hmm. in Marnie, it's like, she's on the run, she's doing it. And then, you know, similar to Lady Barbara to reference before, it's like, she has like the kick of this, or like, I don't know if she necessarily drives pleasure, but she is doing it for, you know, maintaining her lifestyle, maintaining her mother yeah that, like there's that sort of like there's, a compulsion. there's yeah yeah it's like it's the compulsion and then and again it's like not wanting to be touched by men wanting that independence even though then you have the in some ways what feels like a cop-out at the end
0: yeah in
1: terms yeah in terms of the great reveal of her of the trauma mm-hmm. that is just yeah like it there's a lot psychologically there that i don't know if i even grasp after watching the film way too many times
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you brought up Vertigo, which is my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie. Yes, And it's an interesting one because every time I watch it, and this is one I saw when I was, I mean, I remember as a kid watching that and actually jumping out of my chair at the end of the movie. Uh when she like, yeah, went over the tower. Spoiler. No. Um, (laughs) when She dies at the end. I like jumped off my chair in, in my house. I have distinct. Oh my God. Like, Oh my God. Like they can't end the movie like that. And um, so, yeah, it's one that I think you see when you're younger and you're like, Oh, this is so romantic and whatever. And then as you get older, you're like, this is twisted. And you start, you know, reading more about Hitchcock and realizing all of the sinister politics. And it's fascinating. It's kind of an interesting one to juxtapose with Marnie. And I feel like the one big difference is, I mean, you brought up a really good point about the casting of Jimmy Stewart. You are going to probably follow because he is known as quote unquote, the good guy. But I feel like he's sicker in that and in this movie like he's got sean connery is played as like a hero basically yes uh doing all this to the woman and so that's where it gets a little twisted whereas in vertigo i mean when he is making her over when he comes upon her and it's she's judy with the brown hair and you know it can't matter to you what your hair looks like i mean it is openly this guy is sick and yeah. um, I mean, as a kid, you're like, oh, he's so in love with her, but then you could older. Yes, know, this guy is sick. Whereas in this movie, you're like, oh, Sean Connery just needs to fix her, you know. And so <laughs> that's that's where it gets a little icky, but um, but the actors are wonderful on this, Tippi Hendron you wonder like what her experience was like back to back with this and the birds. Like, Oh my gosh, it's amazing. She showed up to events to talk about these movies years later, because I can't even imagine what it was like to work with Hitchcock on these. So yeah, it's no, exactly. Like, or just to bounce off. I,
1: it's so nice to hear someone else have a set. Cause like I still feel kind of guilty with my initial reaction to vertigo. Cause oh, like, again, yeah. I watched I it similarly young. Yeah. That it's like, I saw it. What was it? I'm trying to think. I saw it. Oh, I saw it in a double with psycho. Oh, wow. <laughs> like I saw it. Yeah. Cause it was when we were living in Atlanta. And so it was, uh, I'm trying to remember, but anywho. So it was the thing where I remember seeing it and my reaction to it was just like, oh, Kim Novak. She's like the definition of femininity. And he, and Jimmy Stewart's just so in love with her yeah. and like, oh, look at what he's going to go through. Like, oh. And then. Yeah. And like, I think that that's a very good and strong point you made in terms of how Marnie is in so many ways, so much more twisted in that sense, where it's like, he's (laughs) supposed to, he, he like, because in Vertigo, it's like, he's, you know, he's the detective after her or like yeah. watching her and that's part of it. And it's like, it's almost noirish in that sense. Mm-hmm. And that, but like for this, it's like, he, like, you've got the Sean Connery character is supposed to be this upstanding from, you know, Philadelphia mainline money who like is like trying to fix her with, as a hobby with like his, <laughs> his notions of animal psychology, I but don't. it's all presented like, this is a good thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) like it's just like it takes on a whole like but I that's it though you hit on it though in terms of just like how these characters are being presented which in fact makes this makes Marnie seeming honestly a more sinister film in that sense because it's present it's the way that like it's presenting it as he's the good guy. Look, he's helping her. And Oh, like at the end, it's this whole thing. I'm just like, Oh, she gets her trauma now. So, or like, she understands what happened to her and the memory. Mm-hmm. And then, so now she can like fully embrace him. Yeah.
0: I know. Ugh. We can have sex now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, she won't <laughs> be reviled by my touch. I know. I don't have to <laughs> Sorry, rape it's her now. So okay. disturbing. Yeah, it is.
0: But, um, I I also think what I like about vertigo boy, not to like switch movies on you, Diana, I'm not doing this again. No, But, (laughs) uh, but what's interesting about vertigo for me too, is that he is shown to be not heroic. Like he is, I mean, at the beginning of the movie, he becomes, he develops vertigo. So he has a disability, that he needs to overcome and then he gets psychologically traumatized further and so it, it's interesting in this one you're just like boy Sean Connery is so noble for weirdly right? getting sexually obsessed with this woman and deciding I'm gonna fix you and so yeah it's interesting and He's, he also
1: yeah i oh, sorry just like I just had the thought and he also has the whole refrigerator wife thing of like, oh, yeah. I, you know, my wife died. So it's just like, not only is he being presented as this great guy, it's like, oh, you know, because again, he just standing there, he's Sean Connery. But you then bet. also having the like mainline thing, running a bank and then, oh no, his wife died. And it's yeah, like, oh. That does
0: gain him some sympathy for sure. Yeah, the sympathy <laughs>
1: points. And you're just kind of like, no. Or like, I, that's it though. It's like, I think, again, it's like watching these films as children without, or, you know, younger, without too much life experience, you go along with, you go along with what Hitchcock's presenting versus as adult women experience, or even as teen women experiencing life. It's just kind of like, oh, wait a second,
0: this doesn't seem right. yeah it's like like, this is sketchy I know well Paul Schrader once said like if you don't give somebody a hero like whoever you put as your main character you're gonna follow and it's so true but as he pointed out about watching things as children it's kind of like you know all the fairy tales and all the Disney movies we saw as kids and then as you're an adult you're like wait a minute in Little Mermaid she gives up her voice for a guy and we're supposed to think that's great like
1: you know or like Belle in Stockholm Syndrome that's a whole thing yeah
0: she's abducted (laughs) and being like blackmailed like come on no Yeah. Like this is
1: not the place, like, this is not how, you know, a supportive nurturing partnership
0: comes from. (laughs) I mean, these are beautiful films and I enjoy them still, but it's like, you might want to talk to your kids about that a little bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But that's it though. It's like just having like fuller context rather than going into the world thinking, Oh wait, this is a good example of how dynamics work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very good point. Yes. When Natalie Wood read Inside Daisy Clover, the scripts Ooh. from Gavin Lambert based on his titular novel, she told him she would kill for the part of a poor teenage girl who gets plucked out of obscurity and the Great Depression and set up for Hollywood superstardom. In an industry that quickly chews her up and spits her out, to say that Wood could relate was an understatement. And luckily, Lambert told her that murder was unnecessary for all concerned, including director Robert Mulligan and producer Alan J. Pakula. She was the only one they felt was absolutely right for the part. In the movie, her manipulated starlet is used and abused by an impossibly sexy, impossibly (laughs) bastard-like Christopher Plummer, whose character is nicknamed the Prince of Darkness. It also co-stars Ruth Gordon as her mentally ill mother and Robert Redford as a bisexual or perhaps as in the book, just gay matinee idol who breaks Daisy's heart. It's a downer of a movie, but a tour de force for Wood who hoped that this one, along with her other Redford picture, this property is condemned, would move her out of the frothy romantic comedy territory movies, like Sex and the Single Girl, which I still love, but she wanted to get out of that for good. I think the movie is compelling. It's a little bit overlong, a little episodic, and I guess that Wood felt that half of her performance, including vital voiceover sequences were left on the cutting room floor mm. but still for fans of the actors and those looking for a demystified clear-eyed dark view of hollywood sinister men it can't be beat so how about you what do you think of inside daisy clover
1: this is one that i feel like I feel like is discussed amongst like women on film Twitter often. Yeah. It's just like, have you seen this? <laughs> like, have it's you seen film film film. this movie? And yes. then as soon as, as soon as you find a fellow having watched inside Daisy Clover, then it's just kind of, then you're just like, Ooh, and then you have to like talk about it for the next half hour.
0: <laughs> it's just... true. It's kind of like classic movie, Twitter's phantom thread, which is a great movie. Yes. Too, but Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Or and so it's just like it's that's an again
1: another movie that I watched pr- probably a little too young and a little too late on TCM one night. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> that um, yeah, no, I just remember watching it, and again, it's another being way too compelled by clearly the evil character Christopher um, Clover. Yes. Yeah. It's just you know it's like he, like he's dubbed the Prince of Darkness by yeah. uh, Robert Redford. That's just like it's a little on the nose there. <laughs> but but and then also like re-watching it, I just I keep being struck by that it's like it's like a whole it's it's so much like a star is born, but just it's kind of like a star is born, but if you put a knife in and then twisted it. Yeah. If that makes sense. That's just like it's a little it's even it's just like a little bit more. I'm just yeah. like a little more sinister because she she's a child. Yeah. And all this happens.
0: And, and it you've happens got, to her, not, like, in A Star is Born with uh, her husband. Yeah.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. And, like, and it's just, like, a th- and again, she's, I what, she's 15 when it starts? And then, like, the whole thing is, like, at the end, spoiler, when she's, like, ready to give up or, you know, or, like, that's not end the right reason.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, to end her life by get oven yes. as depressing and terrible. I and know. Stuff. Yeah. That is just you know at 17 you know that she lived enough of a enough of a terrible life where she had all the stardom in front of her like that again it's like 15 to 17 but then like also this has a whole other foreshadowing or like for every child star really just Mm -hmm. like how they're you know brought in chewed up and spit out yeah that and like with natalie wood oh my like not to you know Over, over project onto things, but she does have a scene or two on a boat.
0: Yes. Oh, you know what was weird is I watched this movie because you you chose it, and originally we had to postpone a few times. Life got in the way. But when I watched (laughs) it, it happened to be on Christopher Walken's birthday, and I remember like after it started, I found out it was his birthday, and I thought, well, that's a weird irony because. I mean, I love him as an actor, of course. He's Christopher Walken. But he was on the boat and has never talked about it. So, yeah. It's a little dark. And every time that there's a new
1: inquest, he lawyers up.
0: Yeah. 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 Like, if that doesn't spell something. I know. <laughs> oh. I read so many books about Natalie Wood. She was the first, oh. like, star I was obsessed with as a teenage oh. girl. Yes. I read... Um, like I think Natasha I think was one of the titles and then I remember reading one by her sister Lana Wood and boy Lana was definitely putting it on the line about um, you know going to the funeral and he was in the he like locked himself in the bathroom for part of it afterward and it's like, yeah, Chris Walken. What do you know, man? Come on, yes. <laughs> oh, that's so. Oh, yeah. that's so sad. Yeah, because he was totally oh. in love with her, and oh, yes. Oh, because um, and
1: because, yeah. like, speaking of Natalie Wood, like I, um, like I know that uh, Maureen O'Hara, her co-star on Miracle on 34th Street, said that Natalie Wood even then, like, was afraid of the water, like as a little girl, and I don't know whether this was just kind of like a retrospective of, or like one of those sort of like later thoughts of just like, Oh, like that's a weird connection or, yeah. I don't know. It's just, like, I heard it's,
0: that about Splendor in the Grass too, the scene in the bathtub. I heard yeah. she does have some water issues. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But it's just like, it's a whole, th- like, Oh, uh, it's just so set. So it's just like that layers of layers when you watch Natalie so Wood. Layers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. And she, Ugh. It's she's that's a whole other that's a whole other episode yes. or series of just but, Natalie Wood being amazing. Yeah. She
0: <laughs> is an amazing actor. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: but, and so that's what's actually so interesting though with her loving this script so much. Cause yep. one might think like, you know, it might be too close to home, but I guess that's the challenge of just yeah. like yeah, it's like being able to speak to so many different elements of this. Even though it's a novel and it's a lampoon of everything, Mm -hmm. but it's also like, there's so much heart to it, which is why the, the, what I would say is a betrayal of trust from from Christopher Plummer's character. Oh my uh, gosh. Yes. Oh, like when that turns romantic. That is half oh, for, for people who haven't seen the film, but are still, but are listening this far into this section. Yes. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> pretty much he starts as kind of a father figure, almost like a pseudo, like he's supposed to yeah. be like, you know, it's the Louis B. Mayer meets, I'm trying to think of like someone younger. Jay but, <laughs> Garland? I don't know. Oh yeah. No, it's just like that dynamic. Yeah. Combined with, then it turns it, you know what? It goes from Louis B. Mayer and Judy Garland into uh, David O'Selznick and Jennifer Jones. There you go. Yep. That's what happens. Oh, that's so cringy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's so manipulative, too, because she marries Robert Redford, whose character we find out is, like I said, bisexual or gay. And he has this thing where he leaves her, like he left her on a boat after they made love and he took her virginity. And then she like forgives him later, they get married and he immediately abandons her after that. So she's already heartbroken. And when she goes to uh, Christopher Plummer, he picks her up, it's, it's a GIF you're gonna see all the time on Twitter and you know just gives her this kiss and like if you're just looking at the images it's gorgeous but if you're watching the movie you're like E, she's so raw and var- vulnerable right now, you manipulative groomer, like, leave her alone. Yes. Exactly. No, because his exact words, because he, like, picks her up in a very, like, not
1: quite sexual way yes. No. And and then it's the thing where he's like, oh, look, I forget the exact quote, but it's along the lines of, like, oh, love is ridiculous, we don't need it. Like, and he's, like, trying, and, like, in the conversation, it sounds more like he's trying to discuss his own not-so-great marriage. And his own issues and just trying to be a sympathetic voice and ear and generally comforting. And she's exhausted. So it kind of makes sense of like, the friend, I, I don't, that sounds weird. But it's like, you could see why he might pick her up to then get her into a more comfortable place than an outdoor couch
0: yeah exactly like put her in the so, guest room something like that right that's what and he is like yeah
1: yes so then when he goes in for this like it's not even a kiss it's a snog like that's, <laughs> like it just full-on in it's just yeah. kind of like oh no this is a violation of all ah it's just a violation
0: <laughs> it's <Christopher laughs> plumber seducer yes <laughs> yeah
1: and then that it develops into an, like, and then she kisses him back later. Yeah. And then, and then it develops into a full on, like, he's her patron in some ways. And like, yeah. and it's just like, ah, oh, it's just so cringy. And like, he allows her to see her mother again, which also just, it's so. Yeah, or there are for, some for, like yeah.
0: rewards for getting involved or being quote unquote good. Yes yeah and like that's it oh
1: my (laughs) gosh that's the thing too is that that whole dynamic is set up of you know she's like for her first big premiere you run through the whole thing of like she shows up in a very pretty age-appropriate dress and Mm -hmm. then like running through what she's gonna say and like very much like she's a good girl like she's you know it's like he's just like yes that's a good girl blah blah like pretty much somewhere between a child and a dog loves like,
0: dog basically yeah <laughs> yes
1: so then to have that then as and again it's like we're viewing this through a you know me too having these conversations lens where we can actually feel comfortable enough to speak yeah. about this that it's the thing where it's like then that grooming then turns into something more sinister (laughs) and more sexual and more romantic and more abusive and just it's such a disturbing dynamic but again as it's like as you said it's the thing where that image in itself without the context is gorgeous you know just like when when he does pick her up or like even before he picks her up he's like kind of disheveled after clearly being awake most of the night, and he's Crap. Christopher Plummer. He fills the screen really nicely. Yes. <laughs> <It's> just like <laughs> he knows like, where like, his angles are, exactly. Exactly. So it's just like there's this whole thing where it's like, oh, I'm visually captivated and again, charismatic presence, but then mm-hmm. this is c- the action and its implications, and even more so in the context, it's so wrong and evil and sinister. Mm-hmm. That's just like there's that whole it's just a confuddlement of feelings (laughs) it is
0: yeah you're like why is this hot no i hate myself for thinking it's hot yeah this is wrong exactly and isn't that most of cinema (laughs) it really is it's like you get turned on and then you're like why why am i turned on right now yeah (laughs) it's thirst it's like this
1: is what draws you know it's like this is what draws people (laughs) <laughs> but like, yeah. So it's just like Christopher Plummer, and again, it's like as Raymond Swan, as the head of Swan Studios, it's like he can pull that. Like, I'm trying to think of the exact word, but it's like he he like looks presentable, and then yep. it turns out that like he looks presentable but stern, and it turns out it's not Captain Von Trap Stern. It's more like the Prince of Darkness, evil. Yeah, of just like uh. Yep, exactly. But again, I love it. I love the movie and I love... That's it though. It's like, it's it's one thing to watch it versus experiencing it where it's just like...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's like even with our real life experiences that are unpleasant, it's like they weren't with Christopher Plummer. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just... There's, there's a safety, that, yeah. Yeah, there's the safety in the distance and you can kind of see that you... Like, it's just... Yeah. So it's like, it's watching, but at the same time, trying not, it's its feeling guilty for liking to watch it too much too.
0: Yeah, if that makes exactly. Sense. <laughs> well, it gives us an opportunity to process it and it holds us in an arm's length and it's safe enough that we can process it instead of looking inward all the time. So yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this was an excellent choice. Well, the Criterion Collection has just released a gorgeously restored new disc of our next film, director Joyce Chopra's Smooth Talk from 1985, which was adapted by Tom Cole from the brilliant short story, Where Are You Going? Where Have You Been?, which was published in 1966 and written by Joyce Carol Oates, a film that almost plays like two short stories seamlessly woven together in the first half, Meet a beautiful, precocious teenage girl named Connie Wyatt, played by Laura Dern, who regularly escapes to the mall to shop, gawk, and flirt with older boys and goof off with her two best friends. Feeling alienated from her mother, well played by Mary Kay Place, along with her perfect homebody older sister and her father, Levon Helm, who's half interested but outnumbered by the women Keeps and keeps to himself, Laura Dern's Connie yearns to grow up much too fast and have fun. She gets much more than she bargained for, however, when she catches the eye of Arnold Friend, played by Treat Williams, who in Oates's story was inspired by the Tucson murders of the Pied Piper-like killer Charles Schmid, Arnold tracks down Connie one day when she's home alone and speaking to her on a scary far too intimate mature level he tells her he won't leave until she agrees to come for a ride with him but we know exactly what he means it's both chilling and dream or rather nightmare like and for women it's also far too real I love the story by Joyce Carol Oates but it's its own thing because I'm crazy about this powerful movie as well. So, what did you think of *Smooth Talk*? Oh my gosh, I love it, and I loved hearing your your description
1: of it just now. Just oh, it just made me picture the film uh, quickly over again in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I'm glad. And, oh, I just I loved it so much because, as you said, it's two short, it's two stories together that. It, feels it comes like together, it. and so, yeah, yes, and it, like which makes it almost like even though I think the running time is somewhere around like an hour and a half, it makes it feel almost like its own epic for yeah. like young womanhood because that is just like yeah, it's like having the arcs
0: exactly like o- Oates' story is basically the entire Arnold Friend thing. A little bit of what happens in the story is kind of hinted at and in, in the first half, but. First half is really its own thing that kind of just augments and lifts it and adds something new to her story. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And it's like you have, and that comes from Joyce Chopra's, like her documentary work prior and like a lot of focus on young women yes. and women at different stages. And it's just like, it's so informed that that's why like the film, it just feels so like it feels like even though it was made in 1985, it feels. Like you know, when we were teenagers, like it's the thing of you know, it's like having a an on and off volatile relationship with a parent Mm -hmm. and trying to like assert one's independence and also having the new like the newfound feeling of oh I'm you know on the verge of womanhood or I am a woman now and like trying to navigate those waters that, again, you're not fully informed of. And a lot of things you don't actually learn until Mm
0: -hmm. things start to happen. Yes. Yeah. It's like acting a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like, and that's
1: what's so like with Laura Dern, like as Connie, as, you know, a teenager who... Like she looked like if it's the thing where it's like looking from afar, you could see her as a woman. But then when you squint and like you see how she laughs and how she interacts and like the slight awkwardness here and there, mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, no, she's definitely a teenager.
0: Yes, <laughs> I know. And it's
1: it's beautiful. It's beautiful casting on top of like what I would say is superb, like superb performance, because, again, it's just like capturing so much of that age without spelling it out either.
0: Exactly because oh, yeah. oh, it's, it's not like oh you're at the mall too much
1: and you know it's not or even though that is I think a line in there but it's like you know it's not spelling out of like oh you're an irresponsible kid and blah 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 it's more that you can witness it of just like she wants to find out who she is but again mm-hmm. she's a teenager and then like so it's like that first half like I'm just trying to think in terms of timing it's like it's like and then it turns into when she starts testing the waters as you said of like you know, it's like at the mall and near the mall of like meeting boys and men mm-hmm. and kind of, again, it's like navigating that and, you know, liking attention, but at the same time, not ready or prepared for more than attention. Yes. And it's just, and like, you know, film doesn't really capture that that much. Cause let's just say a mo- like, if you have a young woman, it's either oh they're a child or they're a woman there's no actual are you you know again just speaking very generally and vaguely it's like within film canon it's like you either have like i'm trying to think of like good examples but it's like oh if if uh, if like a younger girl is interested or flirty then that makes her a woman that doesn't yeah. keep her as a girl anymore I know, and then therefore she has to take the responsibility of being a woman.
0: I think it it's handled the best by women. A modern example yes. of that is Diary of a Teenage Girl, which is oh yes, just so sexually frank and daring, but also just brilliant. And I love that film, but it's <laughs> it's also disturbing in its own way. And <laughs> yeah, you think no, it is, but. Um, <laughs> I think we handle that because these are our experiences. It was weird when I said I was watching this and I put it on like Twitter, Instagram, you know, different things. And somebody actually replied. It was a man like earnestly uh, asking me and he wanted to understand. He said he felt like the movie was blaming Connie because it was her fault and just the Ooh. phrasing it was kind of like did you get that he's like are you why do you like this movie because it was her fault because she was being a flirt and I just wow. thought hey. and it reminded me of an interview with Laura Dern where she said you know because she was a teenage girl and she said sure. you know her Arnold friend or the person where she loses her innocence and was speaking to her on a way she wasn't quite ready for or on an intimacy level was when she heard people interpret this movie like that or oh. she heard the way people were just assuming it was a fantasy at the end i think some critics even i believe Roger Ebert is one of them even though he loved it i believe in his review even just flat out says he doesn't or she doesn't get raped or something like that and you don't know that for sure and so, right. what's? I mean, I love Roger Ebert, but that was interesting. So it's interesting to see how people summed up the film and mm. how they spoke about it with women and with her. And I know that that was very disturbing to Laura Dern as a young woman. And so when I was when I was faced with that, I just said, "I'm not seeing that at all. She is flirtatious, sure, but she's just coming of age, trying to grow up fast. I mean." most people when they're a teenager, they're like, I can't wait till I'm independent and not living at home. And, you know, I want to be an adult. And she just doesn't know what that means beyond living in a superficial society that places so much emphasis on sex appeal and look. Right. Yeah. No, definitely. And that's what it's just like, it's, it's so
1: interesting to see or to think of, like, people's perspectives in terms of what coping mechanisms they put on in terms of, like, yeah. processing the film. Because it's the thing of, like, oh, it, like, the, just the idea that, oh, the whole Arnold Friend sequence is a dream yeah. or an, a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that takes away some of the power and agency of that ending and of Connie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, like, are just, like, in terms of... Again, it takes away the power of her trying to process it all. Yep.
0: But um, it's just very... Nah. Yeah, <laughs> like, coming to whatever. terms. I know. This movie, I remember when I did first see it, I think it was when I took a women in film class, we saw a clip of it, and so I sought it out on my own. This would probably have been, like, oh, a little maybe 20 years ago now. I remember it did give me a little bit of PTSD because you remember Mm -hmm. some things as a teenager, like, or as a kid, I remember a couple of guys trying to force me into a truck when I was 11 years old and running home. And then, you know, when you were at the mall or just walking down the street or something, a guy in a car would come over and offer you rides and stuff like that. I don't think men
1: get that realize yeah like how and how young that starts it starts that's one thing
0: that yes
1: having these discussions like general like like I I think yeah I was talking with some guy friends at some point just generally about how annoying it was getting hit on at you know 10 yep and they're like what I'm like yeah "Yeah." like like I don't know about you but like I was a tall I can like even though that yeah so it's just like the thing is being taller or looking more mature for your age means the creeps are going to come out sooner.
0: Yeah, my mom had to talk to me about that because I was, I mean, I'm nearly six feet. I'm, well, I've hit six depending on who's measuring me, but I'm like right there. But I was like tall early and finally at like 11 and 12, I was getting too much attention that way. And my mom's like, okay, it's time to talk. So, yeah,
1: that was scary. Yeah. Yeah, because like I had like similar stuff. So- like I remember like waiting in the car and having like somebody you know knock on the window to talk and just being creeped the hell out. And yeah. I'm, like, and I remember I went. What was it? I went to like this. Going to sound so random, but I went to a concert, a monkeys concert at a casino with my dad, <laughs> and <laughs> and I just remember I was like eleven. And I was getting like a diet coke, and this guy was trying to buy me a drink, and he wasn't gathering that a I was eleven, b oh. I was getting a diet coke, and c like I'm about to walk back to where I'm sitting with my father. Like it's just
0: yeah, it's you know, creepy. It,
1: it's so creepy, and then like there's so many other stories like that though that yep. it's just like yeah, and just so like it just it's so familiar and so. Like it's nice in a way it's nice to watch it because it helps process it a lot more Yeah, in a certain sense. Cause it's the thing where you watch it and you feel things where you're just like, Oh no. And, and in a way you're able to have a little more sympathy for your younger self for not mm-hmm. knowing better or not doing certain things or like, you know, it's not your fault that like when, like when, when you're a young teenager, if you wear too much makeup or you want to wear something that flatters your figure, it's, yeah. the, it's like, you know, it's the Arnold friends of a world that are the bad ones.
0: <laughs> like, I that's, know. That's weird phrasing, like, but it's.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but because, you know, it's just like a lot of, inter- like, and again, as we were talking with Inside Daisy Clover and with Marnie and with Wicked Lady, it's like there's a lot where you internalize. Mm-hmm. But it's also like sometimes these films help in terms of processing of, like, you know, it's like how you feel towards certain characters that then you're just kind of like, oh, well, like I have sympathy in this this ways or like I can see this or again, it's like this triggers certain memories or certain events. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, this helps me kind of look at this from this perspective.
0: Yeah, it makes you reconsider things and be like oh that might have been more dangerous than I realize or yeah exactly <laughs> it's interesting you never know yeah this was such a great film and Laura Dern just what a remarkable presence oh my gosh oh definitely just, and
1: also like her whole performance with Treat Williams like that that is intense. an actor's masterclass yeah. right there yeah that like it's a credit to her that I think she was 15 at filming that like she did it all. Like that was just incredible.
0: Yeah. Cause he's like twice her age and Oh, exactly. And
1: also like a very, like a very skilled performer in so many ways that it's the thing where, and again, his performance of when he's, when Treat Williams is Arnold friend showing up at Connie's door and saying, Oh, we have a date and you know yeah. I was like oh you washed your hair for me and yeah. oh my god now I'm having a flashback to a guy who kept calling who it turned out that he was a guy who was uh stalking a neighbor of mine but that's a whole oh other my story. gosh yeah. yeah yeah, that happened at the age of 12 or 13 that was uh, fun I but know. anyways so but, yes. like, but it is it's the intimate conversations that you're not prepared for or shouldn't have to be prepared for because you're like just be anyways so to circle back though (laughs) just having this random guy show up at her doorstep saying oh we have a date and then it and then just like the way it evolves and like he goes through this dance with her yeah where it's like threatening but playful like Mm -hmm. it it, where it's like that it's teetering that line where if she said something she would be the bad guy harshing the buzz and or like or just oh he didn't mean that
0: but mm-hmm. then also, like, she, he won't leave. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And it's one of those things where you're, like, trying not to make them mad. Uh, yes. Like, Kate. And, yeah, it is scary for sure. Ugh. And actually, that's what's so
1: interesting with how the film shot, because overall it's this, be- like, s- for the cinematography, it's this beautiful, like, very vivid like, it just makes, like, it's very natural lighting, like, epic. Like, it it makes me think almost of Badlands in some senses. It's just, like, it's very beautiful. Oh, that's
0: a good comparison. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> and then it takes on
1: a slasher film mode as soon as
0: she runs into the house and he's lurking at her door. And the guy in the car, uh, oh. he, he came with his friend, is yelling, like, should I pull the phone out of the wall? And you're like, Jeez, yeah. Yeah. No, it's just
1: so threatening. Like, and again, like actually, that's what actually makes so much more interesting in terms of, again, people's reactions, like not even like on first watch when it first came out or in other, but like it would be really interesting to kind of do a survey of how people actually take this film because Mm -hmm. the fact that like so many instances are open to interpretation because like we notice those details but at the same time, again, there was the person who commented to you say, saying like, it was oh, her well, fault. she was, flir- yeah, it's her fault that <laughs> she was flirty. And it's like, so it's her fault that like a random, possibly middle-aged guy yes. who's pretending to be a teenager shows up at her doorstep and his buddy threatens to, you know, cut out the telephone. It's her yeah. fault for going to a burger joint looking cute. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I know. And I just realized while we were talking because he does use the word date. So this kind of goes back to that first conversation we had where we wanted people <laughs> to be forward. And it's like, yeah, be forward. And then when she says no, just take the loss, man. Move on, Arnold yeah. Friend. Don't be weird. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But also with the name Arnold Friend that says yeah, it all. Which is on his car. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. That's another thing. Okay. To get insanely specific, what do you think the numbers on his car mean? I think it's like 33 or it's like, I think 17,
0: 19 and 33, or is it 33? That is a really good question. Um, I mean the title of the short story, where are you going? Where have you been? It does go, to the bible i guess i read oh. that it, i didn't know that i did like a year and a half of catholic school but it's in the <laughs> criterion booklet and of course things happened to joyce carol oates when she was a girl that she's written about over and over again so and of course the tucson murders you're you're not supposed to know i think but they're i'm wondering if there is some kind of weird i don't know ritualistic uh-huh. murder or how many girls he's gotten or or their ages yeah or if it's that's something what I feel biblical, like, that's what like I, read I have no idea like is it a chapter a
1: verse oh my gosh knows? that's a good point yeah it could it could be specifically references to the bible yeah, nah. I have no idea yeah. Nah. yeah that just that just proves how Americana the film is too though
0: yeah, it's like, a glo- it's basically the glowing briefcase in Pulp Fiction or something like that. We're not supposed to know, but we know that it's, yeah, it's. That there's freak. something lurking. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> and just,
0: oh, because I think that, because
1: like to circle, because again, with the theme being Sinister Men, it's like Treat Williams's Arnold friend is just so, like we we all kind of know that guy. Oh, yeah. The guy who's just like not as cooler or, ha- or like he's very cool and very hip and knows everybody, but you don't actually know him, but he acts yes. as though he knows you. yeah and then also like he's definitely not in your age or friend group, but again mm-hmm. acts like he is. yeah, but it's just like I think and, and guy that, that's always around yeah, yeah. and then at the same time, it's like this is treat Williams like right like I'm trying to remember when hair like this is post hair before phantom like this is this is you know treat williams it's not like he's like he's he's he like to borrow what i was saying about christopher plummer it's like he fills the screen nicely
0: <laughs> yeah i mean he's handsome and whatever it's kind of using that beauty to scare you kind of like exactly um, in american psycho when you see christian bale and he's naked, and I mean, it's Christian Bale, and he's just gorgeous with his, you know, physique and running down the hall, and it's a conflicting image. Again, it was made (laughs) by a woman, so it's like you're seeing this female gaze of, oh my gosh, what a gorgeous hunk of man, and he's trying to kill them. Like, it's, yeah. (laughs) But
1: yeah, on it, like, that is such a great comparison mention right there. Cause that's what it is though. It's just like, it's, it, it is that it's, it's that female gaze it's, it's playing into that. And then also while doing
0: terrible things. Yeah. I know. (laughs) You never know about those sinister guys. (laughs) It's like Uh. the, the more classically handsome, the more dangerous. (laughs) You know, there's always that thing about, uh, I mean, it's an old joke. Women say like, I don't want a guy who's prettier than me, but the too handsome and too smooth guys that can coast by on their looks, like there might be something there. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. No, it, <laughs> no. it's just like the, oh, is it? There's that you know the Byron quote of just like mad, bad, and dangerous to know or something. It's yes. Just kind of like yes, those guys. <laughs> uh, that is just like there's some like that's what almost makes them more sinister than like you know if again, a Dracula, sh- actually Dracula is attractive. What am I talking about? But like, if <laughs> like, you know, but like if somebody comes in, like, okay, I adore Boris Karloff and I find him handsome. But like, if he shows up in like full, like black cat gear, you can kind of mm-hmm. look and just be like, um, I might pause a second. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I, I'm reading your persona loud and clear.
0: Yeah, and De Niro, he's in scary mode. Like, nope. Oh my god, Cape Fear.
1: That was one of that. I was so tempted to include Cape Fear because I know that we both love Robert De Niro. Yes. And oh my God, like his performance in that is beyond. It just almost felt like too perfect to talk about in terms of Sinister.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Next time to be continued, I guess. We should probably get to our last one because I'm keeping you all afternoon and I feel bad. No, this is a joy. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, our final film is the newest one of the lot. One that sadly might not age the best because some of its sinister real life screen men that have been called out in the advent of Me Too. We're talking about writer-director Edgar Wright's 2017 action movie Baby Driver, which from its opening sequence also seems like one you could classify as a musical as well. Ansel Elgort plays a young getaway driver with a bad case of tinnitus who uses music to both function and drive hopelessly in love with a diner waitress played by Lily James. He gets more than he bargained for when the positive experience of a new love collides with the criminals he drives for and with in the underworld, including Kevin Spacey, John Hamm, John Bernthal, Ella Gonzalez, and Jamie Foxx, an absolute feat of technical filmmaking. While it's jaw-dropping stunt driving, car chases, and action sequences cut perfectly to an inventive pop soundtrack must be seen to be believed. Overall, this is far more thrilling as a celebration of editing and cinematography and all of those stunts than it is emotionally compelling, at least to me. But, when it works, it's fun. So, how about you? What drew you to baby driver? Uh, well, I love I love
1: this movie enough that I saw it three times in theaters when it came out. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> and, and I think it's because, like watching it and on re-watching it for our conversation, and like it's just, the th- like I love revisiting certain parts of it because it is that musical aspect and the choreography to it and then I feel like just like having John Hamm being threatening while Barry White plays is <laughs> <laughs> it's a choice yeah <laughs> it's a choice and I think it works and that's what compelled me to definitely include this <laughs> yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was my main thing and then then I started to think oh wait like in terms of let's just say Kevin Spacey and some rumors I heard about Ansel Elgort and (laughs) it's just like that puts a whole Fox
0: part of some rumors too oh my gosh
1: I think so Oh, yeah. I, I'm knocking on wood uh, that the cur- that the cast isn't fully cursed because I. Lo- oh, I know. I love John, John Han- and John Bernthal. Yeah, yeah, and it's John Johns, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but like they're okay. Yeah, the Johns have survived. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so far, knocking on wood. Yeah, but um, and I don't know.
0: Jamie might be okay. We don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like we're
1: just talking about rumors. That's it. Yes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so it's just like, I like I kind of like this in, ter- like, in terms of discussing overall with like sinister men. And like, also like what I, one of the things that really drew me with Baby Driver is that you have all these like types, you know, mm-hmm. that it's like you have these types and you're kind of, it sets the stage. So then you can have these amazingly choreographed action sequences and the plot still goes along and like, I'm a real, as we could tell for during Wicked Lady, it's like, I'm a sucker for sentimentality. (laughs) (laughs) So It's like, if you like, I like where it's baby and Deborah, like talking about just going on the open road. I yeah. am a complete and utter like I love that way. Too. I love <laughs> like I get suckered into that so much. So that's kind of like the the emotional anchor for me, which <laughs> which does, which might which again, I'm I'm very easily sold on it. Okay. but uh, <laughs> so it's just like so then when, like the thing that I really liked with John Han- or like in terms with the other men we've discussed, it's the fact where, you know, his non his nickname throughout the thing is buddy.
0: Which That's again, a really good play on a name. Yes. Buddy is yeah, a buddy just, until he's not. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Well, it's like Arnold friend. Yeah.
0: So it's like you got oh, Ho, buddy. Ho. We are doing some synergy or synergy here. I like that. Yeah, we are. Yeah. And then
1: he's another one who like Captain Jerry Jackson comes back (laughs) look at you this is perfect yeah (laughs) so much overthinking but it's the thing where like it's the sinister where you don't expect it at first but at the same time he does have a certain look he's tall dark Mm -hmm. and handsome like it's kind of like but he's not too smiley which normally like if we all know John Hamm's persona he's a very smiley outside of Mad Men type of guy so it's like when you have like Dramatic-faced, alcohol drinking, and yeah. baby driver doing drugs, like having that whole backstory. It's like this is sinister John Hamm, and we're yeah. in for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and then like with his plotline, it's the thing where I get he he also has a refrigerator wife thing happening, where it's like you know spoiler, but it's like he loses his girlfriend wife. I forget whether it's fully defined, but mm-hmm. I. So it's the thing where you have that sort of when he turns fully bad or fully evil or full or not. I mean, again, these are all relative terms, but it's like when he turns on baby, it's because he's lost the love of his life. Yeah, that it's like that's his compelling drive, and then he goes into overdrive, and then you know tries to get baby, get Deborah, aka, or like it's the whole thing of like. You know, you took the woman I love. Therefore, I'm going to take away yours and get you as well. Like it's it's yeah. a very like it's, like in terms of narrative, it's a very yeah. You know, it's a very familiar trope in terms of like revenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, at the same time a lot it's, of tropes. Yep. Yeah, it's all the tropes. Which, like, I love good. I love good plays on tropes. Like, no. I am all here for it. And so, I should, as, as we could tell with with the wicked lady conversation, <laughs> but it, but it's the but it's like the thing where again, it's like that twist where it's like you know that you know that buddy isn't necessarily a good guy starting off. Like, none of no. them are good guys starting mm-hmm. off. But it's like you can. But then it like amps up like, so late in the film as well, that it's, like, it was, like, a sort of big twist and then, or, like, a big turn, not twist, but it, like, amps up, and then he goes into full, like, slasher in a car mode. Yeah. And, like, the visuals are incredible. Well, like, with all of Edgar Wright's work, it's, like, there's so much, like, knowledge, and one could say overthinking Mm -hmm. that, like, in the visuals and so many nods and, like, little Easter eggs here and there that it's, like, Buddy amped up, turns it just like, again, full on slasher mode and just like the tone and the language and the just everything is just like the shift. It just goes full on and full in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: He is taking um, these formulas or these tropes, like you could almost say that Buddy and his wife slash girlfriend slash chick, we don't know, (laughs) are kind of like, yeah, like uh, Tarantino type characters, Uh, kind of, they would be from like true romance. Or you could see where he might be pulling some things here and there, but it's how you work the formulas and how you manipulate them. I'm one of those people, I think that is more the style over substance in this end. I am one of those people when it comes to Edgar Wright that I love his Cornetto trilogy because they're so witty and they're far more verbal. I mean, there's still he loves a good play on uh, good comedic plays that involve fast edits and music and things like that and visuals it's all very buoyant and very jubilant and fun but I feel like there's more going on substantively than there was in like Scott Pilgrim and Baby Driver it's kind of his younger age ones that didn't fully work for me I I really appreciate what he's trying to do and I think that's kind of cool I love that it's a play on musical films because it's one of my favorite genres. And so he's taking musical and doing like a postmodern crime musical thing. I feel like this would play really interestingly. I know when it played at the new Beverly they like paired it with Driver, uh The Driver, uh the Walter Hill which is amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like, well, that's weird because you know that you got like a masterpiece and then you have a weird um musical thing. Like I was like, ooh, that might have been a little like too far out of field. But I thought this one might really be interesting next to La La Land because they came ooh. out I think I don't know if it was the same year but they're both taking musicals or taking, you know, the cinematic language and editing and what you do with music, but using it in a new way. I didn't love either one. I'm going to be like totally honest here, but I feel like together it would be something really fascinating and worthwhile to discuss. So that was one of my thoughts this time around.
1: Yeah, no, you may have convinced me to finally watch La La Land
0: okay it's not brilliant (laughs) Diana I'm warning you yeah (laughs)
1: no because it was the thing where it's like the discourse around or like with it's like again not to fully you know go on another detour but it's like with La La Land I just I didn't feel up for it just because like I kept seeing everyone being like oh this is like a love letter to Hollywood but then like the like it just kind of what I was seeing wasn't sitting as well with me in terms of like like the visual of like Ingrid Bergman in a mural, but then everyone's dancing, but it's not that well done. Yeah. It seemed I could be yeah. very wrong. No, it <laughs> again, it isn't. I haven't seen it. Yeah, so. it isn't, but
0: it does have kind of like its moments. Or you know, there's the joke that like people always use like action needs to be like a porn movie, or same thing with musical, <laughs> like you need the big, the big moments and then like filler. And I feel like yeah, the yeah. story wasn't compelling enough. But some mm-hmm. of the musical moments were pretty cool. And mm-hmm. it kind of seems... I mean, it is not... Baby Driver is a spectacle on, like, a totally different level. Like, you know, it's basically somebody on a ton of cocaine. That's... Yeah. Like, that, basically. <laughs> and then La no, Land it. is a little... Like maybe a downer or something like you took. Okay. You're just feeling a little buzz or three glasses of wine, basically. So it's two very <laughs> different things. I think honestly, that's what
1: compels me. I think that's what got like got to me in terms of seeing Baby Driver three times in theaters. <laughs> and okay. anytime it's on watching it. <laughs> it's just like I think it is just that rush there's like a rush to it and there's a rush to that filmmaking that I think I just I'm immediately in tune to Mm
0: -hmm. versus
1: like and like oh my like I adore the Cornetto trilogy like if we if we were if we were gonna go film Twitter and rank Edgar Wright films my first would be (laughs) my first would be Hot Fuzz Hot Fuzz is my favorite yeah oh my god oh oh speaking okay Timothy Dalton Simon oh.
0: Skinner,
1: <laughs> you know, as uh, Paul Rudd, oh, and sin- I love that you, man. Be- T. dalt yeah, yeah. No, that could have <laughs> been a sinister man. In yeah. all of it. oh my god, that's actually a that actually could have been better. <laughs> you could have done a whole like thing there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, but I'm just thinking because because the, there's so much like genre play in terms of him being a red herring. Yeah. But, um, and just again, it's like he's very sinister as Simon Skinner, Simon mm-hmm. Sissy Skinner. But anyways, <laughs> so, but, um, no, it's just like with baby driver, it's like that high adrenaline, and I feel like the John Hamm character it's almost like like, you know, not to mention Don Draper too much, but it's like <laughs> if Don Draper like pushed John Don Draper like a few decades. And then, like, like, and then, like, amp up with a lot of coke. And then I think you've got Buddy who, like, you know, left his wife and kids, possibly, and has (laughs) made a life of crime. Rather than Don Draper, who started with kind of a life of crime and then got the wife and kids. (laughs) There you go. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Not to make a crazy stretch. But, like, (laughs) yeah, so it's just, like, within the scheme of it's like within this game of baby driver playing with certain like so many tropes. And again, what we now know of certain cast members that it's the thing of it's like watching it again, it's getting wrapped up in like the energy and Mm-hmm. I keep using the word charisma but it's like getting wrapped up in energy and the charisma and then yeah. being like oh wait context
0: uh, <laughs> do you know how and in many a way- think pieces we might have inspired with this episode like we've <laughs> thrown out so many brilliant ideas Diana that it's like yeah
1: <laughs> oh you're well like mostly from your end my dear but no,
0: not at all the John like Draper thing things. I can see it that's going to be an article somewhere yeah totally or at least an
1: awkward Twitter thread
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, yeah, point like 133.
1: no I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah no exactly but like I think that's it though it's like it, thinking of Sinister Men it's like these films again it's like if we were making a listicle mm-hmm. these wouldn't necessarily be the five we would choose of like mm-hmm. very clearly Sinister like, you know, it would be a lot more clear. Like, it would be much more villainous. Yeah. Like, Night of the
0: Hunter or something like that. The yes! Classical. Yeah. Yes. Well, Night of the Hun- Well, we could have just done all Robert Mitchum. Oh, <laughs> that's another one of my guys. I don't know why I'm attracted to these people, Diana. <laughs> no,
1: you know what it is? It's
0: cinema. Yeah. Cinema
1: makes us attracted to these people. It that, does. Okay. It's oh, a sickness. Here, Okay. Film lovers. So, no, but here's a quick people. question. Trafoe. When you saw Titanic, <laughs> Were you more of a Jack or Cal girl? Oh,
0: Billy Zane. I mean, I, yeah. I, I didn't. Okay, here's, this is bad. I don't love that movie. It's, <laughs> it's you know, it's entertaining. Tomer shouldn't hear this. <laughs> yeah, I love you, Tomeris, but it, it's not my favorite. But I mean, it's a spectacle. Um, yeah. And it's it's something to be seen on the big screen. Like, I would go back to see it on the big screen. Sure, I yeah. guess, you know. Jack is just not that interesting, but you put Billy Zane there and your eye is just going right to him and how like much of an asshole he is and interesting. Yeah. See,
1: this confirms that you and I are very much kindred spirits. Okay. Because (laughs) because when I saw Titanic, instead of, you know, almost every other girl or boy who saw it and felt romantically inclined towards Jack, I got a massive crush on Billy Zane. (laughs) Specifically, he's the one and only actor I've ever written a fan letter to. Oh, really? <laughs> Interesting. So it's just like, just in terms of like how cinema, defo- like how how we interact with cinema and then also how things develop and going forwards. And it's just like, you know, these, this idea of... <laughs> tall dark handsome slightly threatening like that seems to be one of the most exciting tropes in cinema that then we're drawn to from arguably a younger age than we should be and then it kind of
0: cements (laughs) yeah so just
1: like so it's like it's always interesting kind of pull people like in terms of titanic for that dichotomy of just kind of like yep because because most people just look at you like you're
0: insane (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i like not running away with Billy Zane or anything, but of the two, <laughs> if I had to choose um, just who is more interesting to watch in the movie, it should have been the Billy Zane story. But I'm one of those people who, uh, you know, saw like dead calm when i was a kid it's always oh, billy zane yeah. on boats being evil like he has this yes. thing with the water there's even a movie called head above water that like me and two other people saw with cameron diaz and harvey Keitel. Oh, i've and, seen that movie okay you've seen it <laughs> yay yes. and so what is it with billy zane and water i don't know but yeah when no there's something. water adjacent like i'm gonna watch it but the thing also with um So Leo in my house, we actually call him Cousin Leo because he looks identical to my maternal uh, great grandfather. Oh, I'm sorry. My grandfather, my maternal grandfather when he was younger, like to the point that when Leo first became older and... um, you know everyone started to have a crush on him in the mid to late 90s uh, a friend came over once and saw like a black and white picture of my grandpa and said why do you have a framed black and white photo of Leonardo DiCaprio like in your house and it's like that's oh not God. Leo yeah so in our house we that's like amazing. to call him cousin Leo but yeah
1: well that's pretty
0: cool like yeah. kudos <laughs> so anyway I've never been attracted to Leo let's just say that so. <laughs> a little, <Yeah>. too <laughs> little too close a little too close handsome guy sure but yeah you look like my grandpa no that's not happening <laughs> well actually it's funny
1: you met because speaking of another so obviously you've seen dial in for murder oh yeah so great what movie. i like my grandfather uh he on my dad's side or paternal grandfather uh he looks he looked like ray Meland oh wow okay a little bit
0: or that it makes like that probably a little not- problematic no I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah no
1: like there's a and I it's just a whole other level of just kind of like ah
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but like yeah the ears the face he looks like he could be a drum <laughs> like it's a whole it's a whole family thing that it's just kind of like That's so funny. like so I get that in terms of just being like oh I really appreciate this actor but
0: Ah, a little close to home like why do you guys do no i'm just kidding (laughs) too funny well this was so much fun diana i really appreciate it before i let you go are there any other sinister i mean we've thrown a bunch out there but other sinister men movies that you want to recommend anything obscure you want to give a shout out to that people should check out
1: well, I would say circling back to James Mason, if you find yourself really loving Wicked, uh, The Wicked Lady, okay. definitely check out some more Gainsborough melodramas. So we've got The Man in Grey, which has James Mason and Margaret Lockwood together with Ooh. Stuart Granger. Okay. And that that's even more like on the nose Regency Bodice River. But that's a that's a whole that's for another day (laughs) 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 and then also and also seventh veil is an amazing film in which he almost is like he he's he's a mentor turned romantic almost a parallel to inside daisy clover but a little more muted because of course it's a british film but it's a similar dynamic almost okay but a little a little more spengali-y Looks um, like that one's on
0: HBO Max. So if you're listening now, you can find it there. Woohoo! And yeah, I would say
1: just check out the titles we mentioned, and then also like, yeah, like there's there's so many sinister men out there. Yep, and
0: <laughs> look into <laughs> Billy like, Zane, Robert Mitchum. We've got a bunch for yes. you here. De Niro. Ooh, yeah. De Niro. Okay, how about this? What are your favorite sinister De Niro's? Oh boy! You know <laughs> I. Cape Fear is not a film I've been able to watch uh, because it is a bad one to watch when you're attracted to Robert De Niro. I mean, for obvious reasons. Oh my God, everything uh, with
1: Juliette Lewis. Like I rewatched it in quarantine and it's so upsetting.
0: I know, I have (laughs) not seen that movie since like the 90s because of that. But um, anyway, best Sinister De Niro's. I mean, I even love just the... I love him in Heat, one of my favorite Oh my God, yes. Yes, and Goodfellas. Just, I love how you can see him thinking in character. I mean, nobody thinks like that. Nobody smokes like De Niro. Uh, My first film school teacher actually made a comment that smoking is often used in cinema to denote when someone is like planning something or scheming or being manipulative. And um, as like a some sort of a power device. Like they're thinking they're going to solve a problem. So they're smoking and nobody smokes like De Niro and nobody does that quite like him. So that's always nobody. (laughs)
1: No one uses a telephone booth the same way as De Niro. No. Like him and like paid telephones. Yeah. Oh my God. And even in heat and it's like, oh, talking to an empty telephone.
0: One of my favorite lines. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> honestly though like if somebody hasn't already done this i think we have to do a super cut of de niro at payphones.
0: Yeah. yeah okay yeah, even if you're casino, listening I to think. this and you're not writing a think piece then make some of these super cuts <laughs> yeah billy's ain't on the water you got de niro at phone booth we're giving all the good ideas out yeah exactly <laughs> oh. we're a font of,
1: of very fun ideas very yeah. fun niche specific ideas yes
0: oh well this is perfect somebody actually joked that because i was doing sinister men they're like jen that episode might be four hours i'm like oh i think we'll be okay two (laughs) hours later (laughs) thank you so much for this this was a blast i really had fun jen
1: this was so great and thank you so much for having me and this this has been so so much fun and i'm i'm game for a part two whenever (laughs) sounds perfect